Finally make their parents proud. Don't talk about my parents. You never met them! Maybe you recognize the voice in this trailer. It's Seth Rogen in his recent movie called An American Pickle. Rogen was born and raised in Vancouver before he moved to L.A. to make it big in show business. And he is one of the hundreds of stories of notable people profiled in a new coffee table book that's being launched on Monday, recounting the fascinating history of Jews in British Columbia, dating back to even before Canada was a country. The first Jews arrived in Victoria as merchants with the gold rush in 1858. And they built Jewish cemeteries and synagogues and schools and some of the most important landmarks and businesses in the province, like the Army and Navy stores and the oldest continuously used synagogue in Canada, Congregation Emmanuel in Victoria. Along the way, B.C. produced the first Jewish mayor of Vancouver, David Oppenheimer, the first Jewish premier of any province, Dave Barrett, and the first Jew in the House of Commons, Nathan Franks, in 1871. Today, B.C. has the third largest Jewish population in Canada, and that's why the editor says the timing of the book couldn't be more important during these dark times of rising anti-Semitism. Empathy and understanding go hand in hand, and that, you know, racism generally comes from ignorance. And if we can chip away at that, if we can use all the knowledge that we've learned and accumulated and gathered uh, to contribute to the effort of chipping away at ignorance, then that's a mitzvah and that's, you know, the least we can do. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, March the 14th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. The new book is called Looking Back, Moving Forward, 160 Years of Jewish Life in B.C. It was created by the Jewish Museum and Archives. The editorial team chose a list of the main notables, as they called them, and so there are names like community builders and tycoons, Jack Diamond, Joe Siegel, the Golds, the Wasks, the Bellsbergs, and all their descendants, plus Justice Nathan Nemitz and Rita Axelrod, who co-founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving, Cornelia Oberlander, the famous landscape architect, Major General Ed Fitch, the highest-ranking Jewish soldier, and about 130 stories of scientists and artists and Jewish volunteers. Others paid to put their profiles in at the back of the book to help cover the costs of production. Coming up, the editor, Michael Schwartz, will be here to tell you why this story should be made into a miniseries. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Sarah Davis in Toronto, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. A Canadian who was born and raised in Argentina is calling for action today against Iran. Nico Slobinski wrote an op-ed piece reminding everyone that this week on March the 17th, marks 30 years since Iranian-backed Hezbollah terrorists blew up the Israeli embassy in his native Buenos Aires. Slobinski says he can still remember the black, dusty cloud after the car bomb. He moved to Canada in 2010, where he now works for Sija in Western Canada. Hezbollah claimed responsibility for that attack and for a much bigger one two years later that leveled the Buenos Aires Jewish Community Center. In total, over 100 people were killed. And for years, Sija and other groups have been demanding Ottawa add the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps to Canada's list of banned terrorist groups. The House of Commons passed a motion to do that three years ago, but has not. The Liberals have said they've already banned some of the worst of the worst groups financed by the Revolutionary Guard, and they don't need to ban the full corps itself. 
The Revolutionary Guard just blew up a U.S. military base in Iraq a few days ago and blamed Israel for it, and is also responsible for the killing of many Canadians when it downed that jetliner two years ago. Michael Schwartz is the editor of the Jewish Museum of BC's new book, and he joins me now from Vancouver. It's great to meet you. Congratulations on the launch. I'm very happy to finally be holding it in my hands. <laughs> so, our, our listeners who are from BC, you'll all know this, but maybe they don't. It's a, it should be a movie. There was a gold rush. Jewish people came in the 1800s. They were frontier people. Then you had firsts in many, many things. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but there's an incredible story. So many interesting things. And then Seth Rogen, which of course, uh, even his company is called Point Grey Productions, which is where he probably grew up, I think, is the name of the neighborhood, right? It's the name of his high school. But, you know, some of the more colorful characters, maybe you can name a couple uh, of, of your favorites in, in the old history, and then we'll talk again about the middle and, and the new history. Um, uh, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I would say not just a movie, it could be a, you know, multi-season HBO series, because uh, there really is so much to tell. I mean, it goes from like, the as you said, the gold rush. The first Jews came to the area that is now British Columbia, uh, specifically Victoria at first, a big wave of um, folks coming from San Francisco. As the California gold rush was winding down, gold was discovered in the Fraser Valley. And so a whole bunch of folks came up here. Among those were Jewish merchants who had established stores and businesses in California, in San Francisco and the other gold towns and sought to repeat their success up here. You have a family like the uh, Oppenheimer brothers were five brothers who set up a network of stores in all these various towns and had supply runs going back and forth. You have folks like uh, Simon Lizer setting up a big shop in Victoria who went on to be the biggest employer in the province, in the future province. And the community grew so fast. We actually have, you know, I believe it's 300 people within the first five years. And within five years, uh, 1863, they opened Congregation Emmanuel. They had built a shul in five years, which is rather remarkable. In the 1870s, many folks started to come over and settle in the township of Granville, which today is Gastown, uh, the old town of uh, Vancouver. Um, and that happened before it was formally decided that, that Vancouver was going to be the terminus for the railroad. Um, and among those, we have uh, Lewis and Emma Gold, who are running their hotel. Um, we have the Oppenheimer brothers settling in. We have Zebulon Franks, who ran a, an everything store. Um, and in the apartment that he and his family lived in above the shop, uh, they held the first recorded Jewish services. Over time, they, the, the, the community built Sherrod Sedek Synagogue. Um, and they had the Talmud Torah and they started to expand. And as you mentioned, uh, David Oppenheimer uh, became the second mayor of the city and today is known as the father of Vancouver. He's the guy who really saw the potential. He was instrumental in bringing the railroad here. He built the streetcar line, laid down the sewers, brought in drinking water from the Capilano Glacier um, and really, and, and set aside uh, Stanley Park and Central Park in uh, Burnaby as parkland, which we still enjoy today. So 
a really instrumental figure. So after, you know, the establishment of Vancouver and, and moving into smaller, to the, to the uh, frontier, you know, we see firsts in politics um, and we see tycoons, uh, magnates, you know, Joe Siegel. A lot of people came from the prairie provinces, such, and that's why I mentioned Joe Siegel, right? He, you know, his story uh, of coming from the prairies, from the colonizing the colonies and moving to Vancouver. That's a theme which you don't see elsewhere in the country in talking about Jewish communities. In addition to folks coming up from California, we also had waves of immigration from Europe and, and particularly waves of folks coming from Eastern parts of Canada. Uh, at a certain point, many families get sick of the cold and discover that it doesn't have to be that way. And we see this trend repeat over and over again, whether it's at the turn of the 20th century or in the post-war years or even more recently. I mean, yeah, folks coming from Winnipeg, from Montreal, from Vancouver, from Toronto, um, a huge wave of people coming uh, after the uh, referendums of uh, of Quebec and uh, the community is just always growing. So the thing that I have to ask, because as a historian, I've done books like this as well. The Canadian Jewish News did one for its 60th anniversary two years ago. And people were like, well, how come this person's not in? And why did you leave that one out? And so that's the thing you have to deal with. So how did you decide who goes in? And Yeah, so it was a difficult process, um, but we did it essentially democratically. We, we, you know, there was a committee that was reviewing nominations. Um, we advertised in the local Jewish newspaper and in other sources in our own newsletter that we were accepting nominations for notables and what the criteria were. And we heard a lot of great input and we, we tried to be as comprehensive as possible and to try and um, cover a lot of bases. You know, it's, it, we include the machers, but not just the machers, you know? We also want, folks who made contributions in various ways, folks who innovated uh, new medical techniques or epidemiology or education or were involved in government in very, you know, so various tried to cover all the bases. Um, but as with any effort like this, it's never going to be complete. And to really do justice to all of the community members would fill a book of a thousand pages easily. I, I do want to ask you about one of the characters in there, uh, Father Pat. Yeah. It's a cool story I've never heard of. That should be a movie too. So yes, uh, Rabbi Nathan Pistinsky um, came as a young man from Winnipeg where he was training as a rabbi. He never actually finished his training, um, but that was good enough for Pioneer Vancouver. Um, and he was hired as the rabbi of Sheretzedek Synagogue, um, and he quickly became a beloved figure in the community and beyond. Um, it's said that you know all the the kids who were growing up in the neighborhood in Strathcona, the East End, uh, felt that he was an adult that they could talk to, comfortable when they were having trouble with their their parents or not understanding each other. Um, he also served as a translator for the Vancouver police because he, he was, you know, he could speak not just Yiddish and, and English, but also uh, Russian and Slavic language, languages. Uh, so he served as a translator. Uh, he went to the, uh, he was often at the port welcoming new immigrants and he and his wife Frida would have an open door policy on, on Friday nights where folks could come for a hot meal and they, 
typically would have two or three sittings and people lined up down the sidewalk to come in and, and have a hot meal. So very generous, very community-minded and someone who still today, uh, some of the older members of the community really remember very fondly. All right, let's dig into a little bit about the reason why you decided to put this together. You mentioned it was for the 50th anniversary of the museum and the archives. Totally, that's, that's a big part of it. We really wanted to um, create something that has a lasting impact that folks can, you know, give their kids for a bar mitzvah present, the grandparents can have on the shelf on the coffee table when and folks can have it when friends come over and learn more about the community our friends at Sija uh and the jnf are very stoked about it and you know the Sija just bought a whole box of books that they want to give away every time they're having meetings with dignitaries and so forth um and i think that that's really what we were setting out to do to say this is something that tells the story of our community today, where it's come to, how it got here, what we're looking forward to, um, that we can, you know, pass on to next generations, and also serve a, a role kind of as an ambassador beyond the community that helps to explain to people outside the Jewish community what we're all about as a community. <music> If you want to learn a little more about the new book, the link is in our show notes. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Debbie Alto in Vancouver. Debbie was originally from Ottawa, and she wrote in after she heard our interview with my aunt and my mother last week, reminiscing about having their first bat mitzvahs in Canada. Debbie wanted to get back in touch with them after all these years. They're all in their 80s, and they all enjoyed a long overdue catch-up phone call. And we'll end today's episode with this clip from an upcoming episode. It's about why a shipment of kosher shofars from Israel got held up at the Canadian border and the amazing story behind who ordered them. For $25, you don't think you'd get in a, an endangered animal, do you? <laughs> so I'm not sure what, what sparked their attention with these horns. And, and sadly, it did cross my mind was there was an Israeli flag in the package. There were uh, two Mogan David necklaces. It did cross my mind with uh, this was uh, an anti-Semitic um, motivation. Thank you.